We, this summer, are doing a series on uh, discipleship, and we're following the, the Psalms of Ascent. So these are Psalms 120 through 134, and uh, those are our, our, our songs for the journey as characterized by uh, Eugene Peterson, the late great uh, Presbyterian minister and uh, pastoral theologian, who used them as a lens to really look at what does it mean to be a follower of Christ on our ways to God. And in these Psalms, he saw a rich resource for us to reflect on the values and the practices and the beliefs that encompass the life of a disciple, someone walking towards God in the way of Jesus. And the great theme of this psalm this morning is security. That's what, that's what Peterson sees in this, that, that security, and he connects it to this peace, this shalom, this wholeness um, that, that helps us develop as followers of Christ. But I think in order to truly understand security and what that means, we have to first think about its opposite, its, its converse, insecurity, which is so often characterized by fear. And so here's a question. You know, think of a time in your life where you felt afraid. Afraid that, that someone or, or something was out to get you. Now, depending on how old you are, fear looks very different. When you're a small, small child, you're afraid of the dark, maybe, or afraid of the monster that's under the bed or in your closet. You know, I remember feeling afraid as as a child. One of the most vivid memories I have of being afraid was after Jacob Wetterling was kidnapped. I was seven years old, and I was walking down the street just a block away to my friend Chris's house, and I remember being afraid, walking quickly, thinking that someone was going to pull over and do the same thing to me that they had done to Jacob. And then I remember being home alone when I was 13 years old, and there was a couple hours uh, after school between when I got home and my sister or my parents got home, and I remember hearing noises outside and, and running upstairs and grabbing a baseball bat in my room to protect and defend myself, lest someone invaded my house. You know, this was like my home alone moment that I was going to have. When you bring it to adulthood, maybe part of being adulthood is being afraid of different things, less maybe vividly afraid and more this gnawing sense of fear about these other things that are, are out there. Um, but when I think of fear in my adult life, uh, the times I've been most afraid, both of them actually happened in Tijuana, Mexico. I was, uh, when I was a youth pastor in Ojai, California, I was leading a group of teens uh, from our church to build a house for a poor family, because uh, what poor person doesn't want a bunch of American teenagers building a house for them? Uh, you know, I digress sort of <laughs> about that sort of model itself, but uh, anyway, so uh, this was the early 2010s, so um, the height of the cartel wars in Tijuana at that time. I mean, um, living out there, you would read stories in the news about, you know, heads being found in duffel bags. I mean, this was, this was a violent, a violent time in Tijuana. And so one day, we're out on this remote work site. I mean, not, you know, very far out on the outskirts, no cell phone service. And I'm on the other side of the hill from the work site, just taking a break. And I see these two Mexican federal pol- police, the federales, running by with their, you know, military-grade weapons at the ready. And I just think, what, what, like, why are you doing that? There's no one else around here. Who are you chasing? And they didn't even look at me or acknowledge me. They just kept running. And I thought, we're going to die. Like, there's going to be a shootout between the police and the cartel and me and these children that I was sent here to protect. We are all going to die. But that wasn't even the worst part of that trip. 
later on that week, I took the kids to get a bunch of snacks at one of these local, there's little, these little grocery stores all over Tijuana, Abarotes, and uh, these little mom and pop shops, and they're great, you can get snacks there, they're super fun to go to. And so here I was with this group of a dozen American teenagers, you know, standing out like a sore thumb in this little grocery store, and they're buying their Takis with chili and chamoy and their Mexican Cokes, and we're all having a good time, and then I see this car pull up. And, you know, whatever, this guy gets out, and he opens the back door, and he starts putting on black gloves. And I think, well, I wouldn't wear black gloves when it's 80 degrees out, but, you know, to each their own. And then he pulls out a ski mask and begins placing the ski mask on his head. And I think, that is not normal. This is not, oh, this is not okay. Again, we're all going to die. And at this moment, I think of my wife. She's at home with our nine-month-old son. And I'm like, I am not dying today for this. And so um, I led the charge. Uh, I said, kids, let's go now. Led the charge back to this orphanage we were staying at, which was like a compound. And, uh, you know, we're in a full-on sprint run back there. And I turn around and I look back and I see the guy sliding under his car to apparently do some repairs. Which who wears a ski mask to make repairs to their car? This is not normal behavior. And he had terrified me. Oh, gosh. I, can't, I still can't believe that he put a ski mask on to fix his car. What kind of psychopath does that? Oh, my gosh. So I was afraid. I was deeply, deeply and profoundly, I mean, horribly afraid. And so fear is not always a bad thing, right? There's a reason we get afraid. Fear can actually be helpful. It can lead us to safety. It can lead us to, you know, be courageous even, take steps to defend ourselves or defend the people we love and want to protect them. But fear is this terrible thing when it, when it dominates our lives and it places us into this constant state of insecurity. And so, you know, imagine, and some of us don't have to imagine too hard this, living our whole lives in a context where we're afraid. But imagine, you know, if my whole life had been like my greatest fear moments, you know, being constantly afraid that someone was going to come around and snatch me up or the constant threat of someone invading my home or, or, or the constant threat of, of, of violence or mayhem. Without security, without this overriding sense of safety, we can't flourish. We can't grow or develop the way we're supposed to. And, and this is true of human development. This is true of, of social development, societal development in general. But it's also true for the life of discipleship, of growing in our walk with Christ, growing in grace and Christian maturity. That fear and living in a state of insecurity, it stifles that growth. And so Psalm 125, it, it speaks a word of security in the midst of a world that's filled with fear. It speaks of security that a disciple needs to grow in grace as opposed to, to withering, stultifying in fear. And when we think about how can we have security in an uncertain and scary world, and we compare the world that gave rise to Psalm 125 to our contemporary context, you know, here in 21st century America, there is no comparison at all. And we see in Psalm 125 actually a security that is not based on circumstances. And just to set Psalm 125 in, in, in context, the kind of world we're talking about, an insecure world... A lot of scholars date this psalm to the period after the exile, so the time when the Neo-Babylonian Empire had invaded Israel, sacked Jerusalem, destroyed its walls, deported the best and brightest to serve in the far-flung corners of their empire. And when you think of exile, if you're trying to think of a character in the Bible, think of, think of Daniel. 
right? This, this talented, bright, smart, young Jewish boy taken uh, to a, a foreign country to serve and trying to remain faithful and loyal to his faith in the midst of a culture where persecution was a constant threat. And so fear in the world that gave rise to Psalm 125, it wasn't an abstract concept. It wasn't some academic exercise where you need to really think about it. Fear was all too real. There's a lot of real things to be afraid of. To live in ancient Israel was to live in a place where it was very easy to feel insecure. I mean, there's hints of that in the psalm itself. In in verse 3, it says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Another way to put this would be the wicked won't be in charge forever. And this seems to, to be a reference to what the psalmist hopes is just the temporary occupation of Israel by a foreign pagan power. Like the Neo-Babylonians, or then after them the Persians, or then the Ptolemies, or then the Seleucids, uh, to name a succession of empires that ruled over them for 400 years. And so when you consider that, think of how easy it would be to be afraid when you're living under an occupying force. And on top of that, all that, it's easy to be afraid in the midst of all the other calamities of ancient life. The constant fear of drought, famine, pestilence. Right? Life was hard for a lot of reasons. There were so many things in the circumstances of the person who wrote this psalm, wrote this psalm that would make them feel insecure, make them feel afraid. And yet, they present us with a different vision. And the vision, what they see, what we need, what they needed in a world of insecurity, what they needed to flourish, we see at the very end of the psalm. It comes in these words where it's a statement and a prayer. Peace be upon Israel. And so in a world that is insecure, in a world that is filled with fear or things to be afraid of, what we need most for security is shalom. Peace. And then we say, well, what is shalom in practice? And if you've been, you know, to church before, you've heard it all before about peace being, you know, in the sense of shalom, it's about more than the absence of conflict. Okay? So that's one part of it, but there's more to it. And the positive definition we see is here is peace is about wholeness, but a particular kind of wholeness that comes from security. So that one can develop and live as one who is, in the words of uh, verse 4, one who is good and upright in heart. Those are the shalom, are the circumstances, the context in which one can grow into one who is good and upright in heart. And and, in a situation of insecurity, that kind of environment actually leads you to develop in a way that in the end of the psalm it says, who are crooked or or the wicked, protect us from being ruled over by the wicked because we'll be incentivized to do the wrong thing. No, peace is the context where virtue can develop and flourish. And that comes from security. And the psalm gives us three marks of what it means to have security. What does that look like? Where does it come from? And so the first mark of security that we see is trust. The psalm opens with these words, those who trust in the Lord. So true security comes from placing our trust in the right place, or rather in the right person. Now there's all kinds of places where we are tempted to place our trust for security. Those who trust in their wealth or their resources. Right? And there's no question that you know, having money helps. It mitigates against the uh, exigent circumstances of life. A rainy day fund helps. There are those who trust in their intellect. Well, if I'm smart enough, I'm going to be able to figure my way out of any situation. Those who trust in their family or friends. You know, if I'm in trouble, they're going to bail me out. 
those who trust in, in, in politics. You know, all we need to do is get the right people in office, they'll enact the right laws and policies that will create a secure context where I can flourish. And a stable, you know, governmental order, that certainly helps for flourishing. And there are those who trust in their own strength. You know, no matter what happens, I'm going to be able to defend myself. I'm going to be able to fight off whoever comes my way. Now, none of these things are, are bad, right, when it comes to security. Certainly having resources, having family, having relationships, having your wits about you, having a, a stable government, that all helps. But they aren't where our ultimate trust belongs because they are contingent goods. Meaning that at some point, one or all of them could be taken away. They're not enduring. They're not a forever good where we can place our trust. And so what this psalm is pointing us to is the truth, is that the one thing that can never be taken away from us is God. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And he promised his disciples this, he said, be sure I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so true security, a security that can't be taken away from us, a security that isn't dependent on our circumstances, comes from trusting in the God who endures forever. And if you study child development, you know that this bond of trust between a child and his or her parents, especially their mother, is so important in those first months and years for the trajectory of the rest of their lives. And when that trusting, loving, secure bond is there, the child flourishes and develops as he or she should. And when it isn't there, there are long-term consequences. So those who trust in the Lord are trusting in a God who is and who was and will always will be. We're placing our trust in an infinite, eternal, and unbreakable bond. The kind of bond that gives us the security we need to move through a world that is filled with uncertainty, that is filled with danger. And so security, the kind of security that leads to shalom, it starts with trust. And then the psalm continues, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And so the second aspect of security that we see here is having something solid at the center of our lives. Something solid at the center of our lives. In the midst of all the chaos of life, there is something that we can ultimately rely on and hold on to, and that something is God. Now remember, this was a song that was sung by pilgrims who were traveling to Jerusalem, and they were were coming from all over Israel, but really they were coming from all over the the, the ancient world, the the Jewish diaspora. And the journey itself was dangerous. There was lots of risks on the road, and they lived in, in, in the midst of a world that was filled with political chaos. You know, there was always barbarians at at the gate, and and never mind, you know, all of the personal turmoil that they were facing and bringing with them. And so in the midst of all that, chaos in the world around them. When they came to Jerusalem and they came to the center of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, where the temple was, they were assured and reminded that there was something stable at the core of life and this world. Something that they could count on that was solid, that could never be moved. God. Nothing can move God. Nothing can take God away. God is that stable, solid, unshakable core. And we know in the midst of a chaos, all of us have experienced chaos, turmoil, tumult, uncertainty, 
fear, insecurity. And when you're in that place, all of us know the value of having something solid to hold on to. For many of us, that's having just a place called home that we can return to. For some of us, that's our literal house, you know, maybe where we grew up. For others, there's a different place that's home. You know, for me in my life, that, that place has been the church, this church even, this literal sanctuary. You know, in my years of, of living away, I'd always look forward to coming home for Christmas, especially the Christmas Eve service if we could make it, because I knew there was a reminder of something solid right here in South Minneapolis, the presence of God who is always faithful. And Jesus, he, he talks about the importance of having something solid, unshakable, as the foundation of our lives when, when, he, when he talked about the wise and foolish builders. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So security means having something solid because Jesus is talking here not about the fact that, that, that there's not going to be a storm. That's not what security is about, is, is, is being out of the storm, but it's being built on something solid so that you can withstand the storm. So security starts with trust. It, it, it's, it's centering our lives on something solid and unshakable. And lastly, true security comes, we see in this psalm, when we are protected Verse 2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. And on this, Eugene Peterson writes, Jerusalem was set in a saucer of hills. It was the safest of cities because of the protective, uh, protective fortress these hills provided. Just so is the person of faith surrounded by the Lord. Better than a city wall, better than a military fortification is the presence of the God of peace. Geographically, the city of Jerusalem had borders and bulwarks of extraordinary variety and intricacy, which illustrated and enforced the theological reality of God's secure love and care. A city life in the ancient world was dangerous. The outside world was filled with roaming marauders ready to attack at any signal of weakness. And constant uh, vigilance was the prerequisite for community life and for the development of the arts of civilization. Cities needed elaborate and extensive and expensive defense systems to make them safe. Immense effort and energy was expended on building walls and digging moats. And we still live in that kind of world. We still build those defenses, though the forms have changed. This process is not just political, but personal, the outer world and extension of the inner Psychologists who observe us talk of the elaborate security systems or the defense mechanisms that we use to protect ourselves. I mean, Freud, always talking about that. When it comes to security, we need something around us that's going to protect us. You know, one of my old guilty pleasures... I've since reformed and given it up, but no shame if you haven't yet found yourself in that place... Amy and I were very early adopters of the Bachelor, Bachelorette uh, series on ABC. We watched the very first season and about the next, you know, 15 of them um, before we just had to, before I had to give it up. I, I, got, I, I got religion and had to give it up. Uh, you know, 
And one of the things I loved about the show, though, was how predictable it was and how you'd hear the contestants sort of say the same thing season after season. And, and one thing that always seemed to happen on the show was that at least one of the contestants, usually some of them, they were always, you know, so the premise of the show is 25 bachelor, or there's a bachelor or a bachelorette, and 25 contestants are competing for the heart of that person. So, um, which is sort of, a very, it's a very horrible thing. I mean, it's just awful. And so, um, it's an awful way to find love. But anyways, so they're competing for it, and, you know, it's tough to connect with 25 people as one person. And so one of these 25 would always be beating themselves up and going, like, I haven't found love, love yet because I'm always building walls. I'm building walls. I'm building up these walls around myself. I just don't let people in. And they would feel so bad they would just be berating themselves because they were this closed-off, walled-off person. And when I think back of it, I think, oh my God, well, this person should not have been beating themselves up for building walls. They should be uh, being praised. Like, good, you have very high walls that are protecting you from this sociopath who is on this TV game show trying to get all of these people to fall in love with them. And your family's going to be watching you, and your grandma's going to be watching you, and your mom and dad's going to be watching you, and this is a future employers are going to be watching you. Build more walls, my gosh. <laughs> Make them higher. Don't let this person in. Oh. Walls aren't bad in that sense. We, we, this is part of being a healthy, developed human being is protecting ourselves and being protected from those who would use us and abuse us and do us harm. We need protection. All of us do. And Peterson says here, he says, people of faith have the same needs for protection and security as anyone else. There are no be- there are, we are no better than others in that regard. What's different, he says, though, is that we find that we don't have to build that up on our own. Psalm 46 46 says, God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. And mountains encircle Jerusalem, and God encircles his people. So we don't have to always be looking over our shoulder lest evil overtake us unawares. We don't always have to keep our eyes on our footsteps lest we slip inadvertently or in a temptation. God is at our side. He is, as another psalmist put it, behind and before. I mean, that was the words even of the prayer of St. Patrick that Amy and the worship team sang earlier. You know, Christ be all around us. We are protected by him. And when it comes down to it, do we need anything more than our Lord's prayer in John 17 where he prays for his disciples and by extension he prays for us saying, Holy Father, guard them. He's saying, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, Father but that you guard them from the evil one. With a prayer like that offered to the Father on our behalf, are we not secure? Are we not secure? With a God we can trust, a God who is as solid as a rock, a God who promises to protect us, not from experiencing bad things, but from those bad things separating us from his love, we can find no truer security than that. And so we can continue on this journey. We can climb the mountain without fear because God is holding the rope and he's never going to let us go. And so ultimately that means in a world that we would be tempted to feel insecure, we have true security from God. And so we can, and this is very controversial to quote this person, but I'm going to do it anyways. We can, in the words of Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, relax, R-E-L-A. X. Relax. God has got us. We can trust him. He's never going to let us go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.